good morning. This is Alicia Bales. Welcome to the flash drive edition of Byline Mendocino. Today on Byline Mendocino, we're going to check in with Mendocino's Registrar of Voters, Katrina Bartlemay, who's been tirelessly counting ballots since before Election Day on November 3rd. We'll get an update about how the vote count is going, when the results will be certified, and why vote by mail requires so much patience. In the second half of the show, I'm going to geek out about community radio with CEO of the National Federation of Community Broadcasters, Sally Kane. We're going to talk about the history of community radio and how KZYX fits into the big picture nationally and why it's so important to support local radio. We do have a challenge uh, for Byline Mendocino of $100 here with with our flash drive. We'd love to reach that challenge and double your contribution for the first $100 donated to Byline Mendocino. Uh, Your money will be doubled by this challenge from Anonymous in Westport. And thank you so much, Anonymous in Westport. It's really nice to feel supported by the challenge. Uh, The number here in the studio, or actually, sorry, the number to call to make a pledge is 895-2233. That's 895-2233 to make your donation. Or kzyx.org, where you can go on the web and click on the donate button on KZYX homepage and do it all that way. So thanks. And now we're going to bring up Katrina Bartlemay. Good morning, Katrina. Good morning. How are you? I'm I'm good. I imagine that you're a little bit tired still. How are things going with election with the election progress? Well, it's going. Um, we're doing our manual tally today at um, 10 o'clock, so we've got our extra help people in here double-checking everything to make sure we have all the ballots um, accounted for so they can do a manual tally on them. Um, and what that entails is we do we have 250 consolidations within the county, and we do a 1% manual tally. So the computer um, generates the, the three precincts that we would count and then and that's a full ballot check and then anything that's not included any race that's not included within those three um, precincts you know like um, maybe the health care district wasn't in one of those or maybe um, the two measures in Willits wasn't in one of those then we would pick a precinct within each race so each race on our ballot throughout the county is double checked so there's manually. a full hand count for every There's single a- race in the county. Correct. Yeah, Since right. that's making, you know, pretty big news right now nationally, I thought I'd I'd let you know about that. We're also working on our provisional and conditional um uh, ballots right now. We've been we started those um when did we start those? Probably uh, Monday afternoon as we um, as we finished. Having a, a holiday in the middle of the week is just throwing me off here. <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah. it's like, oh, this just is not right. We were here working, but it's still, you know, not answering the phones and stuff, just allowing us to get our work done. But we've been working on those. We counted a few extra ballots on Wednesday. So I think we're going to probably release updated results this afternoon um, after we get to work on these provisionals a little bit longer. So stay tuned for that That's on our website. exciting. So right, so on the website right now, what's currently up is election night results. There haven't been any updated returns posted yet. Is that right? That's correct. Okay, and so today, what do you expect, uh, how do you expect that to change? Um, we expect, you know, some of the, like the, um, supervisor races to go on. We, um, we expect, 
a little bit, you know, just a slight increase. It's not a final increase. Um, it, we don't have all the ballots counted yet. They are ready for us to count, but because we have to do so many state-mandated tasks between now and when we do our final, um, then, you know, we, we haven't had a chance to, to finish counting the, the rest of the VBMs that have come in. Well, how many uh, ballots did you receive in total? Let's do a little sort of uh, post-mortem on Election Day itself. Because now every, when I talked to you before, it was the weekend before Election Day. And so there were so many questions about how ele- the election was going to go, how many people were going to come in and vote in person versus mail-in ballots. And um, how did that all wash out? How many vote- votes did we get? Well, without our provisional and conditionals, because we've got them, and I think there were about 1,500 of those, we've received 42,202 return ballots, and that also includes the polling places. So we're at right now about a 78% um, uh, percent turnout. Wow, that's is that a record? Um, it is. You know, a couple of years ago, we had two ballots, and our turnout with the two ballots was about that much. But many, many voters only returned one ballot instead of two. So, you know, that wasn't a real, um, a real accurate turnout. So, um, Mendocino County seems to do better than the rest of the of the state normally with a higher turnout. But this time, you know, I think it's it's probably a lot higher. And once we get these provisionals and conditional ballots in there, you know, it'll be a little bit better. Right. We heard a lot of reports on Election Day of some confusion about uh, voters coming in to show up to vote in person at the polls, but not realizing that they needed to bring their mail-in ballots with them. So a lot of folks, more maybe more than usual, uh, voted provisionally this time. Is that are you seeing that in the numbers of of ballots? We are. Um, there, we tried to do press releases to let people know it would have been nice if the state had done the same thing, but um, I don't think they did. I didn't. I didn't hear that from them. But um, if because everyone received a ballot or everyone was mailed a ballot in the mail, um, if you didn't bring back your um, envelope and your ballot to turn in at your polling place, then you would have to vote provisional. So, and that's what happened. But we also have an amazing amount of conditional or same-day registrations, and that's what I'm doing um, right now. I'm doing those, and then other people are doing the provisionals. Right. And as I've been listening to the national news uh, and people um, like reporters on cable news complaining about how long it's taking Arizona or how long it's taking Pennsylvania to get their presidential uh, ballots counted, I kept thinking about our conversation the weekend before the election and how, how many steps you have to go through for provisionals and for conditionals and for mail in ballots just to certify the signatures and figure out, make sure that this is really the person who is claiming to be the voter. So can you kind of explain why this process takes longer than the in-person voting? Well, actually, in-person voting, they just go up and they say who they are and in a normal election, you know, not this election. But in a normal election, they would just go up and they'd say, hi, my name is, is Janet Smith and I'm here to vote. And they would look them up and, and they would sign the roster and um, then they would be allowed to vote. It, with, a, um, with a vote by mail or a mail-in or an absentee ballot, which are all the same, um, they 
we get them. They have to sign the back of them. If they don't sign it, then we send them a letter or call them or email them. But we have to check a signature. So if the ch- signature's not right, then, you know, that's another process. If the signature is right, then it goes back into the sorting room and is sorted into precinct order. And then once we get um, enough to count, once we finish processing the mail, basically, um, then we have teams of two that are allowed to open the ballots and get them ready for scanning. So if you've spilled coffee or water or some kind of liquid on your ballot, um, that can't go through the scanner if it has done anything with the barcode. So those have to be remade, and they're remade by teams, one person reading off the original ballot, one person voting, then they switch so they can they can read them back to each other to make sure it's an accurate duplicate. Those are numbered, so we can always get back to the original um, ballot that was voted by the voter, and then it can be run through the scanner. So our scanners now, we have a new system as of, as of March, and it allows us to adjudicate um, the ballot, which I showed you. Yeah with the voter's intent, which is amazing because it has absolutely um, taken the place of one entire step that our extra help election workers have to do. So that saves us a lot of time. And we can see, you know, we've all done it to where, oh, we think we're going to vote for yes, and we really wanted to vote for no. And so we put our pin down and on yes. And this, the old scanners, we would feed through the ballots individually. These scanners, we can do batches. And then at the end of the batch, we have to review them and make sure all the votes or the way they're supposed to be that the voter intended on doing them. And we're allowed to to um, to correct them or actually choose the voter's intent on, on what they wanted to do. So, you know, whether or not it was just a little dot mark it's picked up, whether or not it's a, I meant to vote yes on this, we can pick that up. And as you saw when we were, when we were here this last weekend. Yeah, right. The scanners, it rips through the scanner, um, like the stack goes through the scanner, and then it makes a picture of the ballot on the screen. And so if that weird thing happened where you accidentally voted wrong and you've been sent your ballot, so what are you going to do, go get another ballot? No, you're going to try to fix it right there on the ballot, right? And so you can see what the voters' intent was if they kind of cross out the one they didn't want, circle the one that they did want, point arrows to it, say this one, this one. You can look at that and then click the button on the computer to let the tally um, recognize that and then just move on to the next one. It was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. And how is the scanner doing? Is it, is it like, (laughs) is the scanner like smoking at this point? Like, how is it holding up? Um, it's doing okay. We've had um, we've had to clean it quite a bit because you know on on election night we counted over twenty five thousand ballots um, by election night. So you know that's a lot of paper dust and everything else. So boy, we were yeah. we've been constantly you know dusting and and um, cleaning the the optical scan part of it. So it picks those things up right and and if it doesn't, it just gives us an error message and we have to discard that batch and start over. So so, um, you know, it's it's pretty um, it's pretty cool to to have this system. 
This is Byline Mendocino. I'm Alicia Bales on the line with Katrina Bartlemay, Mendocino County's Registrar of Voters. And you are smack dab in the middle of the uh, of counting our votes from the November 3rd election. Can you, I just have a couple more questions for you, Katrina. Um, how yeah. how many ballots have been counted and how many to go? Well, I'm not quite sure how many ballots have been counted because I haven't uploaded, and it doesn't really tell us. I think we've counted probably another um, six or seven thousand ballots from what we had. So, um, but it won't give us a number. I mean, um, because each time we close down the scanner, the scanners start back to zero. So it doesn't give us an accurate number until we upload. And then once we upload to where we're ready to um, to release it, that's when we know how many ballots. All right, and that's going to be this afternoon. You think? I think so. Ooh, that's what that's, that's so what we're geared towards today. All right, so we'll keep clicking refresh, refresh, refresh on the Mendocino I'll County. I'll email you. <laughs> <laughs> on the website, and everybody can go and, and see that report on the elections page of the Mendocino County website. And there's a banner that uh, on the homepage that you can just click right into it. Um, also, there's one other question I want to ask you, which is, you know, you pay attention to the national news. You can hear <laughs> all of the accusations of uh, fraud and, and um, you know, the... the the claims that the election wasn't legitimate. And after I got the tour of the elections office that weekend, thank you so much for showing me around. Um, it really kind of has made this whole thing sort of, I, I kind of have a picture of what's going on in these local registrar vote or elections offices. And it seems like the kinds of accusations they're making would be extremely unlikely given the system that you showed me. Did What do you think about those accusations and why, why would it be unlikely for um, fraud to have taken place in this election? Well, we start with a number. I think that the accusations are not correct. Um, you know, California has led the nation in election security for years and years and years. And our county, um, for years, has usually picked up extra security measures that we've developed on our own before even the state has. So we do everything with batches. We know what the beginning number is. We know what the ending number is. If there's something wrong, we can discard the batch. We can go and count the envelopes because everybody, you know, anybody makes mistakes. But if if they're if they say that there's 75 ballots in there and we only count 73, we're going to go and we're going to backtrack and see what the what the correct um, number is. Um, we do not, you know, everything is number driven. We do not not number things. We are are very sure of our numbers and then this manual tally today will double check those numbers and um, I'm very confident that our numbers throughout California are good. All right, and it seems too like uh, the models that California's been working with with vote by mail are were in in a lot of cases extrapolated that you know counties or states who have never done vote by mail basically used a similar system as we use here in Mendocino County uh, with everything tracked and documented and and double checked. I I believe so. Um, you know, I would sure hate to be Pennsylvania or you know Georgia or you know something that's really a state that's really being under the microscope right now. I mean, it's enough pressure to do our normal jobs rather than have so many people looking at you trying to see if you're going to make a mistake and and 
accusing you of making mistakes. And, you know, we've had those phone calls, too, to where they've been mean and nasty and dirty. And, you know, we think that they're just bogus, you know, that that they've listened to so much TV on, you know, national TV that, you know, it's hard not to believe it. But, you know, we are doing the same job that we always do. We, you know, dot our I's and cross our T's and double check everything. So, um, you know, we're here for you. Our job is to count your ballot. And boy, we are going to do that with every limit of the law. You know, we are going to try to contact you if there's a problem. We are going, you know, we've sent out letters um, for mismatched signatures or um, missing signatures. And, you know, we just do everything we can to protect your vote, keep your vote a secret, and um, just process our work. All right. Well, Katrina Bartlemay, Mendocino County's Registrar of Voters, thank you so much for your work. Thanks for staying calm in the midst of the storm. And we will be checking the website today for the next round of vote tallies. Okay. Thank right. you very much, Alicia. And everybody stay safe. We don't want we don't want anything to happen to any of us. And, and stay dry today or go out and get wet, whichever <laughs> you want to do. All right. Thanks so much, Katrina. Bye-bye. Thanks, Alicia. Bye-bye. All right, that was Katrina Bartlemay giving us an update on the state of vote counting here in Mendocino County. Uh, we are in our KZYX fundraising drive. We're doing a, a five-day flash drive uh, after two months of a quiet drive. And that means that this is your opportunity to call in, support the station, make a donation, join if you haven't already joined. And the way to do that is to call 895 895- Two two three three, or go online at kzyx.org. We do have a whoa. Well, we had a one hundred dollar challenge for Byline Mendocino, but it looks like you guys you met the challenge. Uh, so thank you, thank you so much. Our goal for the show is a thousand dollars. We're currently at two hundred and sixty dollars, and our drive total just broke the eighty thousand dollar mark. So we're at eighty thousand dollars and. $80,043. Uh, we've got three days now to go for to make $39,957. We're very excited. Thank you so much. And I have a few thank yous before we go on to our, the, the second half of Byline. Thank you to Jody Williams, who call, who uh, used the website to make their donation. Thank you so much, uh, Jody. And she has a comment here. This is an add-on to my monthly payment, especially for Morning Edition, which has kept me sane during election madness. Yes, information is so important to staying calm during the craziness. We have a thank you from to Charlene, who picked up one of our, fa- our face masks, our 100% organic cotton adjustable ear loops, hyperallergenic, hyperallergenic, and extremely comfortable face masks, of which I am wearing one right now. Um, and we have a thank you to give to Andy in Compchi. He says, long overdue, loves Jamie Roberts and the Treehouse. Right. Hooray. Spoken word arts. Uh, we have a thank you to Dennis Sloda. Thank you so much, Dennis, for calling and making a pledge. They've been members since year one. Never been better than it is today. Always getting better. And we have a thank you to Val. Thank you very much, Val, for calling and supporting KZYX. And a web pledge from Carl. Thank you, Carl. Going to cut the TV cable (laughs) is Carl's comment. Yep, and we can help you do that. Come back to the the world of the living. (laughs) Cut the TV cable. 
Yes, well, thank you, everybody. And we are up over $80,000. We're hopefully on our way to $120,000. That's the amount we actually need to get through the next six months. So we hope that uh, these pledges keep coming. This is the last weekday of the drive. So that was the last morning edition. And all the programming today is just just once, just one time. So as yeah. Alicia said, we're tr- it's a flash drive, so we want to do it quickly. And we can only do it with your help, your participation. And that's the same thing for the entire station. Yep, We so, can only do it with your participation. And how you can participate is to call us at 895-2233. Just pick up your phone and dial the local number, 895-2233. You'll reach us. Uh, reach our phone answers out of the on-air on studio. And you can also do it online, kzyx.org, from wherever you are, any time of the day or night, kzyx.org. And we can take your donation. You can see pictures of the thank you gifts and leave your web comment and, and all of that. Super simple. So, um, yeah, uh, I know you have a really interesting guest coming up Um Alicia, this will be fun. You're going to talk to Sally Kane of the National Federation of Community Broadcasters. Yeah, who better to put KZYX in context with? There's like this beautiful network throughout the country of little KZYXs all over in communities. And they, they reflect the kind of personality and the style, just like KZYX kind of embodies and is a voice for Mendocino County. And Sally works with all of them. Yeah, so she sees the common elements in all these stations, and she also sees uh, their uniqueness, because uh, uh, just as Alicia said, the, each one reflects another community, and it always takes another shape. It's just really a sweet, wonderful kind of media, I and so important to grassroots democracy. Yep. So If you're feeling um, blue or despairing, the community radio and the very existence of it and the, the fact that it's thriving in this country uh, is something to be really hopeful and inspired by. And, of course, we can't be here without you. So uh, we're very inspired by the fact that so far 733 of you have called in to the, or have participated in this quiet drive and now the flash drive. That's that's so many people that make this station go. Right, and we need <laughs> and we need quite a few hundreds more <laughs> Another to really make it go. So we hope that you'll take this opportunity to get on the phone, call us at 895-2233, or go online at kzyx.org, or just put something in the mail. We, we go and get it here, right here in Philo, uh, P.O. Box 1, Philo, California, 95466. All right, 895-2233, kzyx.org. When we come back, we'll be talking with Sally Kane of the National Federation for Community Broadcasters. Stay tuned. Election day had rolled around, the candidates were primed. Despite speeches, posters, and TV spots, I'd already made up my mind to vote for. Only you. The race 
taxes in our district were fast and tough and mean. But you campaigned at the laundromat and you brought home laundry clean. I saw you scrubbing up that kitchen, garnering the votes. But when you bought the donuts and the times, I knew I'd sold my own. You faced the issue squarely and you called when you were late You had no secret drug deals, no not quite buried crimes And with a landslide in the runoffs, I knew I'd made my mind Upon you, darling, only This is Byline Mendocino, my name is Alicia Bales And right now is our opportunity to geek out about community radio talk about how amazing it is and especially why it's important to support it on the line with us is the ceo of the national federation of community broadcasters sally kane kzyx is just a regular part of our lives here in mendocino county but if you think about it there are kzyx's all over the country and they all have their own personalities and styles based on the communities that they serve and sally kane works to connect all of these little stations into a larger national network so we can have a unified voice we can advocate at a national level for our stations and pool our resources share skills and best practices she has an amazing view of community radio across the country and how stations like ours fit into this big picture and why it's so important to support them. Welcome, Sally. It's wonderful to have you here this morning. What a lovely introduction. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> Can you just Thank start? Thank you. Thank you. There, there is a sort of a, people have their origin stories with radio, you know, where mm-hmm. like you caught the bug. So I wonder if you could just... Tell people how you first encountered community radio and how how it hooked you in. Absolutely, and I didn't make any of this up, so get your fingers ready to make a call and support your, your local radio station when you hear about it, because <laughs> I got my start as a child. My parents were part of an initial steering committee to found a public radio station in my rural hometown in Colorado in um, the mid-1970s, and by the time I was uh, just a freshman and sophomore in high school, my principal allowed me to come down the street and start doing interviews, and um, I, I hosted a show called One Woman's Perspective once a month with a whole range of women of different ages. It was very empowering. It really um, connected me to the power of the microphone, but also to um, how much it's important for people to amplify the voices of ordinary people so that we all understand our humanity and our shared experience. So my mother was the first president of the board, and then as I got into, I stayed with radio my whole life. It's always been a love of mine, but when I took over as GM of the radio station in my hometown, it was my mother's signature on the Articles of Incorporation that I saw in in the archive of documents, so it was really special, and when my daughter was a teenager, she started um, learning the trade as well. So it's a family love affair. What is, uh, and so the station is KVNF, right? Yes, and, yes. And, and where is it, and what's the station like? 
So the, the station is in rural western Colorado. So the Rockies run right down the middle of the state, as most people know. And the eastern side of it has our larger cities, Denver, Boulder, Colorado Springs. The western side of it is mostly agricultural and industry, um, like like coal mining and um, ranching, farming, things like that. And um, so basically KVNF started out at 10 watts in a little shed in an apple orchard. And um, Campbell Stanton, who wrote my letter of recommendation to go to college, he was the founder. And now it is, um, it has two transmitters, five translators. The transmitters are at 8,000 watts, and it covers an area roughly the equivalent of, of uh, Connecticut and Rhode Island combined. And each, each of those communities that KVNF is heard in approached the station and made it happen to bring this programming to their station. And so over time, the sound of it has definitely morphed into a regional uh, service with a regional newscast and a remote studio in the town of Montrose, where one of the transmitters is licensed. It's much like you guys, KZYX. You know, you've got um, a broad swath of rural Mendocino County that you cover. Right, with our translators and our satellite stations. And it just, it mm-hmm. sounds like there is just a personality of these stations that is incredibly ambitious, that wants to reach out and serve, even in far-flung communities, um, w- the people, as many people as can be brought into the listening area as possible, just to, to be connected with people. And and the reason I ask about KVNF in particular is because there isn't any generalization that you can make about any of these stations, Right. There are some <laughs> over over the years of of working with uh, our membership at at NFCB's two hundred community radio stations around the country. So I think there are some generalizations about community radio, um, in, in particular, and about public media in a larger bubble. But very very few, to your point, because uh, community radio is so deeply connected to the lived experience of the community it serves, that it it mirrors that, it reflects that. And when it's doing its very best, it's completely in service to the expression of the uniqueness of a community. And and I think that's what makes um, the the time we're in and the time ahead um, probably some of the most potent community radio that we'll ever have is happening now. Um, I have so many questions for you, but you've just really intrigued me about this. Why do you think right now is the sort of the golden age of community radio? Because I think we have an intersection of a, a global pandemic, climate events that have turned our worlds upside down, inside out, particularly in rural America and among underserved populations in general, and we have massive social upheaval um, resulting from all kinds of things, um, inequity, racism, misogyny, you name it. And so that intersection of those three major game changers all play out on a local level in a very acute way, and it makes having good information about public safety much more urgent it makes having connections to your friends and neighbors much more important. And it also makes um, 
our solutions and the way we move forward much more doable because there isn't one recipe for how to navigate this intersection that we're in. And that's why I think community radio has such a strong role to play. And what I'm seeing around the country is these little stations like yours are knocking it out of the park. They're going above and beyond with fewer resources than most media ever even dreamt would be possible to operate within. And they're doing more with that. Right. We really are working as hard as we can to rise to the occasion as we as the pandemic is hitting us. And uh, we uh, I mean, the pandemic is a global uh, catastrophe, but it's happening locally. Like the, the virus is jumping from human to human in our communities. So it really is important to have that local uh, news or that local information about what's going on. And also people trust it more. Like in a time well, when you really it. need to yeah. trust the information, it's like your local community radio station is probably where you're, you're not going to think somebody's pulling the wool over your eyes. Well, I'll give you a concrete example. I live in a place where there's uh, a, a newspaper that comes out weekly from our county seat. There's no daily newspaper. Um, there's cable news, which is mostly national. There are no reporters for those cable news networks living here in my community. So there are three hospitals in the area that serve, you know, KVNF listening area. I heard from a friend who was friends with an ER doctor that the COVID wing in one of those hospitals was full. I heard from a colleague when she came to work that the another hospital was full, and she read that on Facebook. And so our local radio station was the only way in the local newscast that that story could get mobilized and pushed out to people who are literally in a life-or-death situation to know that our hospitals are full. Right, as as the kind of news infrastructure across the country has disintegrated at the local level, it's like these local stations are stepping into the void and doing everything they can to get that information out. You don't realize how exactly how life and death it is it's both for individual human health but also for our democracy and for our society we like if if you if the hospitals are all full and and you have no way of knowing that you know how do you operate in the world how do you function in the world making good choices to understand you know the risks and the the actions that you need to take and how you need to engage with your community Well, I've been watching the work you're doing, and it's amazing, and I congratulate you for your dedication to it. And it's such a service to your listeners, and I really hope that they look at Pledge Drive as an opportunity to communicate that, because there are a lot of really complex problems, to your point, that we are dealing with as as a species, you know, as you say, globally. But this particular entity, community radio, is not a complicated problem. We pool our resources, we fund it, and we are receiving 24-7 service for that. And I am a firm believer that there's a a three-legged stool that public media that holds it up, and it's public safety, civic responsibility, and education. And I think art and culture infuses every single one of those areas. And that's what we're here to do. That's why we're nonprofits. That's why we enjoy 501c3 status with the IRS, because we are mission-driven to provide that. And arguably, 
this is a crisis in terms of civic responsibility that we're in when people can't talk to one another. And one of the things that I think radio is so beautiful at is beyond news and public safety is the telling of stories. Because, you know, it's impossible to hate someone when you know at least some of their story. You may not like them, you may not agree with them, but it's it's not the same way you will feel once you know someone's story. Right, and just the opportunity to listen. You know, there aren't that many opportunities to just listen. And I know so many of our of our listeners and our members spend the day with the radio on, and it's just kind of there in the house. Uh, and 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 you have the opportunity while you're doing tasks, the dishes, or or cleaning, or going about your day, or driving, especially that you can just focus on the human voice and what they are saying about the experiences of their lives and the specifics of their you know of 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 their thoughts and their ideas and i just find it incredibly validating and life-affirming to be able to listen to people you know (laughs) yeah well you know one of my favorite um uh, public media figures is David Isay, who began um, StoryCorps, the oral history project. And um, and one of the reasons, you know, what, what, one of the books that he wrote is called Listening is an Act of Love. And it's exactly to your point that it's, it's affirming uh, something that comes from the heart to, to make yourself open and receptive to hear something. And then I also think that the fact that there's no visuals coming at you and why radio can go with you throughout the day and why podcasts have become such a huge phenomena in, in our industry is because the, the creative, imaginative spark can still go, in your, go on in your mind when you're only listening. Right? right? You're not being fed both the visual and the audio. You get to imagine. And I really think that's part of why, no matter what technology has come along, you can't kill radio. Right, because you you get to have the pictures in your mind. You get to uh, have the experience and, and ignite your imagination as you're listening. And especially with things like uh, radio can bring you the sounds of, of things. We call them actualities, where you get kind of the sound of uh, the surroundings. And a lot of uh, really good producers will mix in these actualities in, in their stories. And it does, it, it transports you there in a way that is so different than uh, spectator media. Mhm. No, I agree with that. And I think I think that um there is a renaissance happening as people, you know, have had to shelter at home or flee their homes from wildfires in, in the case of the area the region where you you all are. Um there's a a turning toward the familiarity of people who who have a lived experience in the region where you are. And for a long time in my work on the national scene, I've had to say local is important, it's important, it's important. But, you know, basically everything that's going down right now has just made the case for me. Yes, local is essential. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, so let's just uh, take a moment. Uh, this is Alicia Bales. You're listening to Byline Mendocino. And on the phone with me is Sally Kane. She's the CEO of the National Federation of Community Broadcasters. Who better to come and talk to us about the the crucial importance of community radio in the United States and how KZYX fits in with that. We're also in our flash drive, which is our five-day short, sweet, and quick 
pledge drive, our fundraising drive here. And so I'm going to continue to ask you to support the station. Uh, and if you appreciate shows like Byline Mendocino, I'm here. I alternate with Politics, a Love Story with Bob Bushansky, who's been bringing in some super stellar uh guests in the last six months or you know since he's been on the air but especially lately he's just been knocking it out of the park with these interviews he's been doing um and so if you appreciate this kind of locally produced uh front lines on the ground radio brought to you by your friends and neighbors please support now 895-2233 is the number that you can call to make a donation or to become a member or you can go online at kzyx.com Org. I have a show goal of $1,000. We're so far up to $260 of that show goal, so I would really love to hear from you. And I have a thank you from Susan Hoffberg, who says she made her donation in honor of Alicia Bales' stellar work. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Nice. Um, thank you, Susan, and I appreciate um, that you called and, and made a donation. We couldn't do it without you. So... Sally. You know, that's one of the things I love about Pledge Drive is that you get to hear from people. I know that it's, it requires a lot of effort and energy and people can get cynical about it, both listening and on the, end, on the side of, of making it happen. But we have to look at this as a unique opportunity to practice our connection with one another and, you know, getting to hear from listeners. There's someone who wants to put their money on the table because you're serving them. Alicia, with what you're doing. And I think that's really important that we all have the power to invest in things that provide meaningful service to us. Yes, absolutely. And one of the things that I wanted to ask you about, Sally, was because you work with stations all over the country with the National Federation of Community Broadcasters, um, do they all, do all of us do this? (laughs) Is this something that, uh, is this how everybody fundraises? Yes, although it really is moving um, to exactly what you all are doing, taking up less airtime and moving to more of a subscriber model, um, precisely because it allows stations to not interrupt the flow of their normal programming, and particularly stations like yours who are providing vital public safety, public affairs, and news information. So to take, you know, to take to the airwaves for weeks and weeks at a time uh, um, disrupts that service. Um, but I, so I think that it still happens largely this way, but then with um, websites and people can pledge online, which I'm sure they can do for KZYX today, or sign up for monthly giving. And the other advantage for that is that it really evens the cash flow for these small organizations that tend to work really hard to bring in every penny and stretch every penny as far as they can so that your monthly donation you can give as generously as you want to. Um, I couldn't write a check for $500 right now, but I could, I could, I could, you know, go for 40 bucks a month. And yeah, that's, right. that's the way a lot of the cash flow has been working for stations. But yes, this is still what we do because we have to make our case to the people we serve. Right. Well, that's part of accountability as well, right? This relationship is not, a, we're not just projecting out content for the world to consume. We're in a relationship with our community. Our community is, is, makes up the, the core of programmers who come in and do their programs and they're all volunteers, which I just, I am never not completely blown away by that fact that we have 
close to 100 volunteers who make this station's on-air broadcast schedule happen. And we are predominantly locally produced music and public affairs. We do have a lot of syndicated programming, but we are majority locally produced. And so, I mean, that, to me, that's just a feat of uh, astounding proportions that that many people can keep this radio station sounding so good. And so it's it's stable, it's consistent, it's high quality. And, you know, I'm just, I'm just proud and blown away by the commitment of the of the programmers but equally the 734 people who have stepped up in this drive already that's a a lot of people in a rural area Mm -hmm. we need several hundred more to step up now and because it's a flash drive it's there's no time to procrastinate we're just going to do it and and be done so that now's the time and it's 895-2233 is the phone number 895-2233 or kzyx.org that's how you can. You know donate. what I tell people a lot is um, that there's no media mogul behind this. There's no man behind the curtain. It's us, and we do this. We bring it. We bring our experiences to the table and illuminate them. And that's what that's what happened to me as a high school student. So it's it's not only that there are about a hundred volunteers involved, but each of those volunteers is also transformed by volunteering by volunteerism itself so it has many positive benefits yes absolutely i think i i think i first came on the air of kzyx and kmud that was my other station that when i was in high school up in southern humboldt um it is it's transformational to get to be on the air i remember doing cut in the early 90s we did some radio spots and i i came in and 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 spoke on the air called um, straight talk about AIDS and it was for young Mm. people to learn how to practice safer sex during the height of the AIDS epidemic Um, and you know I was I I wrote some of them we produced them and and they played on KMUD and that was you know an amazing experience to both I mean it was a little embarrassing to be talking about sex as a teenager on the radio but I felt like it was important and and needed and worth it so um, yeah really uh, able to contribute to something meaningful well I had a similar experience in high school Um, my one of my best friends mother had a safe house that was you know uh, their location in in their basement, and it was you know not a public um, public information where it was. But um, you know we did a number of stories on the plague of violence in people's lives and what a travesty it is in the life of a human being. And that was in high school, so it really heightened my awareness of what was going on and um, and how people's potential gets is robbed by acts of violence. And that's something that I never would have had an opportunity to explore without my local radio station encouraging me, you know, to inform myself and to share those perceptions and convene conversation. Absolutely. And you know that that experience, um, both of being part of the production of that series, but also listening to it for the people who heard it, that's something that stayed with everybody who was in, who was touched by it, everybody who was in uh, in contact with it was changed by knowing how violence impacts people's everyday lives. 
can change well, the way you Well, and I hope the phones are lighting up because I know there are people listening right now who have been touched by something you have shared on the air or a song they've heard or a sentiment or a joke or whatever it is. Their lives have been touched by that, and this is the time to make that known because that's how we empower one another. Well, and the people are stepping up. We have another thank you to give to Richard who made a donation on the website and you can join Richard on making a web donation at, at www.kzyx.org and there's a lot of other stuff on the website too besides that donate button that you can use uh, to stay informed. We post all of our local news stories on the web. We've got our schedule uh, and uh, a whole lot of other information there. Information about upcoming programming and uh, the station's business. For instance, our board meetings are posted on the website. So that's a, a good portal to, to connect in uh, with all aspects of the station. Um, Sally, there's one thing I want to make sure to get to in the last few minutes here of this interview with you, and that is uh, NFCB, of course, the National Federation of Community Broadcasters, is a network of stations like KZYX all across the country. I think there's uh, over 190 members of the NFCB, and a majority of them are rural stations. Um, And one of the initiatives that you've been working on in the last few years is called the Community Counts Initiative, which is this ambitious program for really leveling up and connecting um, community stations and this year KZYX is part of this community counts initiative so can you talk about the community counts initiative of the NFCB and what it is and why you guys started it yes and let me just say I am thrilled that you'll be part of it I'm so looking forward to engaging with KZYX and it's our second cohort and based on you know how amazing the first cohort experience was. I have really high hopes for it. Community Counts Initiative is something I started when I took the helm of this organization seven years ago, and it was really inspired by a quote from Albert Einstein, and he said, not everything that can be counted counts, and not everything that counts can be counted. And it was really, you know, me looking at how do we tell the story of the immense impact that these local institutions have and not allow them to get lost in the sauce of the numbers game of, you know, you're you're insignificant unless you have X thousands of people donating and listening. And and how do we embrace the fact that, um, that our relationships with one another in rural areas in particular matter, and we matter, and we are the stewards of the water and the air <laughs> and growing the food and holding open space which is so important for human sanity. And I think it's really, really important that um, that we all understand the value of that and not put it in the box of it's small, therefore it doesn't matter. Because I think, you know, we can misunderstand urban and rural as much as we want to, but we can't treat one another as invisible. That's the worst insult of all. So Community Counts Initiative um, has a primary tool called the circle of engagement, and that means that the revenue the engagement with with the people who live in a community and the content itself is all connected in a circle. It's not a siloed thing. And at the center of that is organizational capacity. So what I try to do is meet stations where they are, find out what they care about, what they most want to reach for, and help them do a 
really comprehensive strategic framing of what's their capacity and how does it play out in each of those three areas. And it's been magic because most stations have many things going on all at once that they're all trying to, you know, juggle and keep keep on top of. And this really gives some breathing room to leaders and stations to step back and start looking and seeing where are the patterns, where are the gaps, where can we reach, what can we let go of in order to be able to reach, and do that in a supportive environment. But I have to say the most powerful thing about it is that you'll get to interact with nine other stations across the country, your colleagues. We just had a call yesterday with the group from 18 and 19, and they still make time to get together and talk and have become, you know, a fundamental resource to one another in their work in in community radio. Right, because we're all so strapped and under the gun and doing everything we can to bring programming to folks. It's not like we reach out and, and, you know, hang out with other stations as much as we should to learn what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, wouldn't you love to have six months to plan how you were going to roll out a new program? No way. That doesn't happen for us. So that's (laughs) what this is for. It's to give everyone some breathing room and some support to take a really comprehensive look and to help through rigorous collection of baseline data for how a station operates, whether it's in revenue or content or which area it's in, and be able to set really reasonable goals based on data. And what do you think this will mean for KZYX listeners that were part of the Community Counts Initiative this year? So I think one of the things that they're going to hear is typically what I hear from these stations who've been through it is there's more cohesion in the sound of what the station is putting out there because it really helps people at the station strategically decide, you know, which kind of choices they want to make to go in the direction they want to go. And I would be shocked if it doesn't translate to um, higher uh, higher quality news and public affairs programming, because when you step from you in your shop and a couple of your colleagues into a group of you know, 40, 20, 25 people, and you have access to experts from all over public radio in all these various areas, um, you just increase your knowledge a thousandfold, and people will hear that. Well, we are absolutely thrilled to be part of it, and we're so excited to work with you and the other nine stations in the Community Counts Initiative cohort of 2021. So thank you so much for that, Sally. And we're at the end of the show, so I'm going to have to say goodbye, but I want to let people know this is Sally Kane. She's the CEO of the National Federation of Community Broadcasters, uh, and you've been listening to Byline Mendocino here on KZYX. Thank you so much, Sally. I 